And I want to say hi to my mom who watches online and all those people watching online around the world. Um, and then I want to say hi to West End. My favorite people there, of course, is West End. I was there this morning. And I know Liz Vaughn was down there with you this morning, so I know you had a great, great time. And then uh, at our Richmond campus, I'll be there next week. So I hope you're having a great time at Richmond. Hello. And then how about my favorite people right here? Missouri City! Hey, so many exciting things are happening in Missouri City. If you know somebody that lives down this way, man, tell them about what's going on. We got a new campus pastor that's starting in just a few weeks full time. And then we just got a lot of fun things happening. So please tell folks. Well, as many of you, if you follow me on Instagram, you know I've been to Disney World this week. This was a trip we planned 13 months ago. It took us that way much to save the money to go, okay? And so we went with my grandchildren and my oldest son, Keaton, his wife, Alyssa. We had just an amazing time. I mean, really, it was just an incredible time. Uh, exhausting, though. So they say it's the happiest place on earth. It's not. And... Uh, <laughs> We'll talk about that. But I got to meet some celebrities, so I thought I'd bring my granddaughter. I had to introduce me to a bunch of celebrities because I was waiting in line for them to meet these characters. And so I brought some photos because if I waited that long, I was going to get some selfies with some famous people. So here we go. Right here is Kiana. Is that it? Tiana. Yeah. Me and Tiana. Oh, Rapunzel. Me and Rapunzel, right there. I waited in line. You're wondering, where are your grandchildren? They're gone. And I'm just like, I waited in line for an hour. I'm getting my photo. So here is, uh, who is this? Elena. 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 She's amazing. Elena. And then Cinderella, right here. And then here's uh, Olaf. Yeah, we're missing one. I know there's one else in there. Anyway, this is Olaf. There's my grandchildren. That was fun hour waiting. And then, uh, oh, here it is right here. Crazy Karen. That's who that is. Who is it? Fancy Nancy. That's right. I knew it was one of those crazy Karens, Fancy Nancy, whatever it is. Me and Minnie. Yeah, we hit it off. She was great. And then, uh, and then we got uh, uh, Goofy, right? Pluto. Dang it. What kind of grandfather did I turn out to be? Well, I bought this package where everywhere you went, there's a photographer that would scan your band and then they would take your photo. And so it was so expensive. I said, every photographer we see, we're getting a photographer. It was just me. You should see how many pictures of just me standing in front of the castle. <laughs> like that, I'm getting every photo. Well, me and my son were running around while we were waiting on the parade and we got this photograph made. And they said, hey, if you'll hold your hands out there, we'll do a magic photograph. I think the guy was mad, a magic photograph. So we did, we did what he said. And we were standing there in front of the castle. Here's the magic photograph right there. <laughs> there it is, yeah. That's it. Me and my son will go down in infamy with that photograph. That's it. But here's a picture of my family. We had a great time right there. Uh, just had so much fun. It was exhausting. So it was a great, a whole week there. We walked 60 five miles. We measured it, 65 miles, 16 to 22,000 steps a day. It was a man's sport, man. I'm telling you, it was just amazing. And uh, so <clears throat> I got a lot of sermon illustrations for you today 
from Disney World, not the happiest place in the world, but we had a great time. It's funny how you can have a great time and it's not about you. It's like about your grandchildren and your children. And it's like, oh my God, they're having fun. It's like, man, one of those exhausting days, we're standing there waiting for the parade. The sun is beating down on us. There's a thousand, thousands and thousands of people. And then Cinderella comes by on the parade and waves at my granddaughter. My granddaughter goes, oh, she waved at me. This is worth it right here. This is it. Made everything worth it right there. That was it. So anyway, so, um, hey, so um, listen, if you missed last week while I was gone, April Farmer was here and she was fantastic, man. You need to go see that on YouTube. She was incredible. And so you don't want to miss that. But I'm glad to be back. We're starting a new uh, sermon series today called Listen to That Brother because we're studying the book of James. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your Bible or your version app at home, and I want you to be studying the book of James. It's not a long book, and I want you to be reading it every day. You can just read the verses that we study on the weekends. Just read it every day. Just read it and let it soak in, because I think it will really encourage your life. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was Mary and Joseph's son, right? And here's the thing about James. Most people don't know this, but James was a late believer. He did not believe. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He didn't follow Jesus around for three years. He was one of those doubters. And you understand this because if you grew up in the home with Jesus and Jesus said stuff like, Hey, I'm the son of God. I'm the promised Messiah. You say, yeah, you can't even catch a football. Get out of here. You know, that kind of deal, you know, that kind of thing, you would doubt your own brother. So what would your brother have to do to prove to you that he was the son of God? Well, you'd have to predict and pull off his own death, burial and resurrection, which is what he did. And that's when James became a believer. It was after the resurrection. In fact, after crucifixion, what I would guess is that James thought, I knew it. I knew he was just some sort of crazy person saying this stuff. And then he rose from the dead and he appeared to James and many others, about 500 others, over a 40-day period. And James believed. And James became a faithful follower of Jesus. And he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote this letter around 44 BC. um, And he said, hey, this is what I want you to know. Now, I don't know if you got friends like this, but we all need friends like this. We need friends that talk to to us straight, that tell us the way it is and say, hey, this is what, but sometimes when people do that, I know you're supposed to say everything in love. I do not have that gift. And uh, it's those things, this is what you need to hear. And that truth is so startling at times, it takes us by surprise and either directs or redirects our lives or just sort of something we dismiss. Well, that's how James approaches it. All through this book, you're going to see some startling things. And so the urging of listen to this brother, he is one of the most credible sources of information and direction on how to follow Jesus that there is because he did it. And he said, this is the way it is. It's not a book of theory. It's not a book of doctrine. It's a book of instruction, and it's an instruction on how to follow Jesus. And you need friends like this. I have a doctor like this. I go to my annual physical, and my doctor, I can count on, he's an older guy, and he always starts it this way. Patrick, I don't know how to tell you this. And I said, what is it, doc? He goes, you're fat, and you need to lose some weight. Thanks, Doc. I'll see you next week, year. You know, it's just like every year I get the same speech. You know, it's that kind of deal. You need people in your life that are just going to tell you, and James is going to tell you some things that you need to do. And so here we go. Are you ready for the book of James? Listen to that brother. Here we go. He says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. The trials of many kinds. I mean, that's the first thing. You What? I mean, this is so not like 
the way we naturally live our lives. I mean, we enjoy the amusement park. We enjoy the fun circumstances. We enjoy, so those were, those are the things that we consider joys. But he's trying to redirect our lives and our thinking in light of our faith in God. And when he says, listen, when you believe in Jesus, this is something you didn't know you were signing up for, but there's a whole new perspective that you need to develop. And so here's the first lesson. Consider it joy when you face trials. Now, that's not the, what the world teaches us, and that's not the way we grew up living. I mean, this is the idea. And he goes on to give us, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this is the stuff you didn't know you were signing up for when you believed that Jesus Christ was your Savior. Like for me, I recognized that I needed forgiveness and I recognized that I could not be good enough to overcome my bad. And somebody explained to me that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my transgressions. And I believed I needed that to be true. And so when I believed that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, what I was signing up for was a ticket to heaven forgiveness. I was signing up for something that I couldn't provide for myself. And I'm so grateful I got that. In fact, I had a lot of confidence that God had forgiven me, even though it took me a long, long time and some counseling to forgive myself. So I, I got that. But what I didn't know and what you didn't know, you don't know this because it's a terrible sales pitch, right? What you didn't know is that when God, when you believe that Jesus Christ is your leader in your life and the center point of your life, he sets you on a journey that's gonna mold and shape your character and create in you a Christ-likeness. I wasn't signing up for that because it's a terrible sales pitch. It's a terrible thing to say, hey, Patrick, here's the deal. You should believe in Jesus because when you do, you're gonna go through some terrible times and God's gonna teach you a lot of stuff through it. No thanks, I just want my ticket to heaven. Really, that's what I'm signing up for. But that's what James is referring to. He is saying, listen to this. He is saying that you can have a faith-based relationship with God that's so relevant that regardless of what you're going through in life, there is a sense of joy knowing that God's at work in you. That somehow along the way, God's going to provide for you perseverance and maturity and perspective. And the way he does that is he takes these difficult times and uh, troubles that we have and uses them in a way that allows us to experience a greater sense of self and dependence on God. I mean, these trials shape and mold you. And you kind of know where you're at when you go through a difficulty. Like we were at Disney. Now we walked a long way, 65 miles, right? So we walked a long way. And at some point, they say it's the happiest place on earth, but there's kids crying everywhere. <laughs> Small children. In fact, it's like our children, are, our grandchildren are five and four. And it's like at some point along the way, it's like somebody just unplugged them and to the ground they went. You know, it's like, oh, it's that, that kind of thing. Like my grandson, Bo, you know, we said, hey, we're going to go to the Swiss Family Robinson Playhouse. And he thought we said Swiss Family Robinson Playground. So we go into this playhouse and I knew what was coming. I'd been there. So I just sat at the bottom and they walked up all these stairs. He got up to the top of this thing is, where is the playground? And he lost his mind. 
up there? Where is the playhouse? Where's the playground? This is no playground. He came down and said, Papa, you're not going to believe it. This ain't no playground. This is a place where people go exercise. That's what this is. Then he said something I can't say on TV. And uh, it's like, wow, man, you're really upset about that. Yeah, I mean, it took him hours. I mean, Sugar had to talk him down. It's like, well, we didn't know. Somebody lied to me, he said at one point. Somebody lied to me. This is not a playground. He totally lost his mind. Of course, being Pappy, I'd bring it up from time to time. You know, after he got over, he goes, I'd go, Bo, can you believe that playhouse? And it would just get him going again. It's like, no, I can't believe that. My granddaughter, man, if she didn't get to sit by sugar at certain points of the day after she was tired or hungry, man, she was done. I mean, on the ground. And everywhere you saw, man, there was kids like this. I wish I would have taken a picture, but that would have been a little creepy. But it's just like, oh, my God, the kids are just falling apart here. And then the adults start falling apart. It takes a little longer, right? But then the adults, younger people, usually younger fathers, they're all going through the magic kingdom going, where's the bar? And uh, <laughs> where's the bar? I need a beer, you know, that kind of deal. And then moms, I mean, we all, listen, we're a party of six. Every single one of us at one point during the week had a point where we had, at, at, I, I'm done. That's it, you know. But the older people, and this is my perspective, and it's probably not right, but the older people seem to do better. Because at one point, my son said to me, God, this is so painful. And I looked at him and I said, Dude, it's all painful, okay? I don't know what you expected over here in the Magic Kingdom, but it's a whipping every day, okay? So as long as you have that perspective, you're going to be fine, you know? Okay, okay, Dad, I'm going to go in there expecting happiness and joys and rainbows. Forget it. That's in the photos. It's the older, mature people that have perspective, you know? Listen, listen to me. I know you want better circumstances and a more comfortable life. Heck, pray for that. I'm praying for it too. But God never promised any of that, regardless of how faithful you are. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. But what God did promise is that he'd be with us. And that through this difficulty, somehow through this divine supernatural power that God has in us with the Holy Spirit is able to shape and mold our character in a way that would never be shaped and molded without the difficulty and the trials that you're going through. I know you didn't sign up for this, but I'm saying don't waste your pain. Don't waste your grief. Don't waste your heartache. Allow God somehow in this to shape you. I know you're asking, why is this happening to me? I know you feel victimized at times. I do too. But what I'm telling you is this joy in trials comes from perspective because of your faith. And if you don't have a faith in God, you're just holding on. You're just holding on. You're just holding on. You're holding your breath and you're hoping this day will pass. But when you have a faith in God, what James is saying to you, and listen to this brother, he says, listen, lean in. This is hard. It's supposed to be hard. Lean in. Grab a hold of Jesus when you're scared, when you have anxiety, when you're hurting. Don't just sit back hoping God will heal you. Lean into God in a way where you can say, God, I need you. This is where you find the hope in Jesus. This is where the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. It's not in the fact that God changes your circumstances and you give God a hand clap because life is better. It's because God brought you through the fire. 
that God made something out of nothing, that he created in you something that could never have been created if this difficulty didn't occur. Did he cause your difficulty? No. It's that we live in a fallen, broken, unfair world. But God's good in it. And the darker it gets, the brighter the light is. I'm telling you, man, God becomes more meaningful to you in the difficult days, in the troubling days, in the hardship that you have. So when you say, What's, why, why is this happening? That's a natural reaction. Say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm coming in, man. What do you want? What do you want to change? What do you, what do you want to shape? What, what, what do you want to do? God wants you to trust him. In that parade route, my grandson did great, man. He loved all the characters, but there's one character, Pluto. Is that right? No, Goofy. That's it. Sorry. They all look alike to me. Goofy. Goofy, for whatever reason, created great anxiety in Bo. So we're at the parade. Here comes Goofy. He looked Goofy to me. He's like Goofy. But boy, create anxiety. And here's what he did. My, my grandson would run around the people because I'm standing in the back and he'd grab a hold of my leg. And of course, I'm not the great grandfather. I said, I think Goofy's got a knife. Hang on. <laughs> he's got, I'm almost sure he's got a knife. Hang on, man. And Goofy would pass. Okay, Goofy's gone. He'd go back up there. There's something about that picture that's helpful me. It's like when you get scared, where do you run? Where do you run? If you're not running to trust in Jesus with your whole heart, you're running to some sort of self-medication or you're running to something to make you feel better or you're running to hopefully in denial, hoping that this thing will just pass. And that's the picture is that God's standing there and he wants you to run to him. And this problem you're having is supposed to create this energy, spiritual energy for you to come and grab a hold of God in a way that you could not grow a hold of him in, in times that are good. And he wants you to grab a hold of him and say, oh, God, I can't do it. It's like a runner training. And when you're running and training and you're getting more endurance, you can do more. I walked 65 miles last week. You want to go on a walk? I'll go on a walk with you. I can walk from here to Conroe. I know how to get there. Let's go. But when you're six, seven, or eight, nine, or you're uneducated, or you haven't gone on a long walk in life, and somebody says, hey, let's walk a couple of miles, it's like, oh, I can't do that. Dude, I've been to Disney World with five other adults or five other people. And I'm telling you, I feel like I can conquer anything today. Because <laughs> if you can conquer Disney World, you can conquer it all. And it's like that's the endurance. That's the perspective older people get if they lean in and do this well. Trials are beneficial for our faith. You want a deep and abiding faith? You got to go through hell. I want to trust God with my whole heart. Oh, you do? Oh, come on. We're going to go this way. If you want an easy, comfortable life where God just blesses you and you plant seeds and you get a harvest and everything's good and successful, man, I don't know if you'll find God over there. But if you say, God, I want to trust you like I've never trusted you. I want to see you work in my life. I want to see you work in my family. I, I, want, I want to know that you love me. I, I, I want to see you do this amazing thing in my life. He goes, you want to see it? Come on, man. Grab a hold of my leg. We're going for a walk. And he'll take you through the valley of shadow of death. And you'll fear no evil. 
Because his rod, his staff, well, they comfort you. And God will provide for you something you cannot provide for yourself. You know what trials do for us? I know, again, you're not signing up for this. But you know what trials do for us? They bring you to the end of your resources. They bring you to the end of your education. They bring you to the end of your talents, your money, your good looks, your Instagram followers. It brings you to the end of everything. And you ain't got nothing. If the trial gets big enough, you ain't got nothing. And that's when you're teachable. That's when you're moldable. That's when you can be shaped into the image of Christ. That's where the joy is. I got nothing, God. I can't get myself out of this. I need you. And so James gives us further instruction. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom. Funny how James doesn't say, if any of you lack understanding. No, we understand. We understand what's going on. We just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to categorize it. The bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. This isn't logical. This isn't real. And so when you get to the end of your wisdom, like you don't make sense of the problems you're going through, that this doesn't calculate, then you, then you lack wisdom, you should ask God. You should say, God, what should I do? God, here I am. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to, where to turn. I don't, I don't know how to get myself from here to there. God, what should I do? That is a great position to be. That's where some of this joy comes from that James is talking about is I can get joy because I'm leaning on God in a big way so that God can make a big difference in my life so I can go to him and not try to navigate life with God's blessings, but try to navigate life following him full of faith. Being obedient, saying, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And James gives this warning. But when you ask, listen, you must believe. Do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I told you James is direct. He says, you want wisdom? Come on, ask for wisdom. But don't ask doubting because you must believe. And if you ask doubting, expect to receive nothing. And what is James talking about there? Because I have a hard time with belief. It's not like wishing upon a star. Like, oh, I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to believe. No, this word, this idea of belief that's in James in the Greek is talking about the idea that I'm going to do what you tell me to do. It's not like saying, God, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And God says, okay, the Holy Spirit just tells you, apologize. And you go, okay, I'm going to ask a few more people and see if I can get a consensus. No. When you go to God and say, God, what should I do? Go to counseling. Okay, what else? What else is out there? That's kind of what we do. We have so many options at our fingertips. We live in this information age. It's like we want all of our options and choices, and then we want to choose. And God says, no, no, no you'll, you, you, you'll waffle back and forth if you do that. What you need to do is say, God, what do you want me to do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be responsible for your addiction, and I want you to go get some help. I'll do it. I'll go. What do you want me to do? 
I want you to step out and believe me, I'll catch you when you come this way. All right, I'm gonna step out. But if you go and say, God, give me some options. Maybe that's why God's not speaking to you. I mean, maybe James is saying here, when you ask God, God, what should I do? And you hear nothing, it's crickets. Maybe it's because God knows you ain't going to do it. You're not going to do it. So you shouldn't expect to receive anything. If you don't go to God asking for wisdom, totally and completely committed to doing whatever you feel like he wants you to do, you're probably not going to hear from him. And it's like, I've done that. God, I just like to have a few suggestions. Can you give me like a multiple choice here? I could do, God's nothing. But when I, when I say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? You need to go to that person. You, you need to address that person. We had a guy um, doing some security work uh, for another um, it's hard to explain, but we had a guy at West End that would basically look at the parking lot, watch the parking lot. And I got to know him. His name was Sam. And Sam was from Jordan. He was a Muslim. And Sam and I hit it off, man. He was such a friendly guy. Well, one night, because he did night watch down there, Sam said, hey, Patrick, I'm going back to Jordan. I just want to let you know I really enjoyed getting to know you. I said, Sam, that's awesome. That's great. Man, I hope you find a great job in Jordan. So I really enjoyed this. And I went back um, in, and I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to go give Sam a Bible. And it's like, God, what do you want me to do? Sam's leaving. And I'm telling you, uh, this is weird. If you're, not new to, if you're new to church, this is bizarre. Hang in there. It gets weirder. And I said, God, what would you want me to do? And he said, go give Sam a Bible. I took off my shoes. I laid on the couch. And I'm telling you, I said, that's it. I put it back on my, Lisa goes, where are you going? I go, I got to go give Sam a Bible. So I got in the car, went over to the parking lot and said, Sam, this is going to be weird. I know you're a Muslim, but I, I just felt like I needed to give you this Bible. I want you to go to Jordan and I want you to start in the book of John. And I would like for you to read it. I said, I'd love to explain to you what Christianity is. But if, you, if you're not ready for that, at least take the Bible. He goes, oh, this gift is so meaningful for me. He said, you know, my wife is a Christian. And she says she's been praying for me. And I'm so encouraged by this tonight. So thank you. So I don't know, I don't know where Sam is today. But I know, I asked God, what should I do? And he said, go give, go give Sam a Bible. Is that weird? And I tried to talk myself out of it. It was so late. And I was tired. Why God, why God can't do stuff on my timing? I don't know. Why can't God? It's so late. And now I've got this awkward, hey, Sam, um, <laughs> I got a Bible for you. Talk about goofy. Man, I was like... He was so encouraged by that. I said, okay, God, you love Sam more than I do. I'm going to give him a Bible. So if you lack wisdom, ask God, but be ready to do 
what he wants you to do. You know, it's that kind of thing. Have you ever met somebody that's got such deep character that just being around them makes you want to be a better human? Let me tell you about that person. They've been through some stuff. I met a lady, she's so rich in character, such an amazing person. And I was talking with her, you know, I was at, I didn't know much about her life story. So I asked her, I said, well, tell me about you. And she goes, well, somehow I got around to her children. And she said, well, 10 years ago, I lost a child on the last trimester. And it was devastating for my husband and I. And I, I said, that's it. That's why you have so many, you've been through the fire. You've been through the storm. I can't imagine a worse loss than that. She said it was so hard, but God was so good. God was so faithful, and I was so angry and so mad, and it took me a while, but God was patient and full of grace, and God created something in my life where I couldn't create on my own, and I could tell, I could look in her eyes and see great depth and thought, man, I don't know if I want to go on that journey, but man, God's done something amazing here. So if you want that, man, if you want that, character. You want to be that person. It ain't an easy road. It's this idea that, man, I, I want this amazing life and God wants you to be something more than he wants you to experience something. And he's trying to create in you. So all that uncertainty and all that anxiety and all that hardship and all that difficulty, God's going to use it. If you'll let him, God's going to use it to grow your faith and you're going to grab a hold of his leg and all of a sudden something amazing is going to happen in your life and you're going to be able to point to God and say, he was with me. He helped me. He provided for me. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't want to go through that again, but thank God I went through it because God showed me something. Listen, you'll see God more clearly in the dark days than you will in the good times. God's going to do something. So if you're going through it today, and I know you might be at Richmond or West End or online or here at Missouri City, we're all going through something. Listen, don't give up. Take joy in that because there is a reward. James 12, 112 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under this trial because you become something you couldn't become. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. That's not heaven. That's this idea of a reward in this life where life becomes richer. You can persevere. You can stand in a parade for two hours waiting for it to happen. You go, hey, this is the way it is. And all of a sudden, you don't have to have everything comfortable for you to make it work. This crown of life, this great life, the great life's not going to come from great circumstances. The great life is going to come from great character. And it's going to promise that the Lord has promised for those who love him. So if you're going through something, I know I'm not saying take joy in the sense that you... I feel like, oh man, life is tough. Just had a car wreck. Ah. That would, we would all hate you if you did that, really. That's not real. But you can lean in with that sense of joy that's unspeakable and go, God is taking me through something and he has found faith. he's been found faithful and he loves me and he's gonna provide for me and he's gonna lead me and he's gonna guide me and I am, I am going to see the Lord in the land of the living, man. I mean, we're going to see God work here. And you don't hold on, holding your breath, hoping this will pass, but you lean in with great faith and God works in amazing ways. I know 
You're not signing up for that. But that's what God has for you. And James would say, hey, you're going to experience trials, so consider the joy that you're going to produce, and God's going to produce in you great endurance and perseverance, and your life's going to be better because of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for having a bigger plan for our lives than we do. So I pray, oh God, for all of us that are going through something today, that you would give us a sense of hope that you're with us, that we wouldn't just hold on and hold our breath and hope this will pass, but we'll lean in and trust in you. And we'll sign up for the class. We'll be humble enough to be teachable and We want to become more like you want us to become. And we know this fire is going to help shape us. If you're here and you don't have a faith in God, or if you're at one of our campuses, you don't have a faith in God, you you should place your faith in God. Take the faith you have in yourself and your circumstances and your ability to control life and transfer all that and put a faith in God. And say, God, I trust you. I believe Jesus died for me, was buried, and he rose again. And like James, I want to believe, I want to follow you. And so I pray, God, as I go through life, that you lead and guide me. You make me into the man or the woman that you know provides for me great life. And that's what we want, God. We want the kind of life you have for us. So I pray that you would help us pursue wisdom with a sense of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.